Welcome to The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. This is the show to help you navigate the challenging moods we all experience as human beings and where you will learn the best strategies to feel the good moods and good vibes we all love to feel. Because when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. This is The Good Mood Show. Now, here's your host, Matt O'Neill. Welcome to The Good Mood Show. I'm your host, Matt O'Neill. Be sure to hit subscribe so you get a good mood every single week. Today, we are talking with my very favorite person on the planet, the beautiful Katie O'Neill, my wife. Katie, welcome to the show. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Katie is an extraordinary woman, and I'm so blessed to be married to her. She's the mother of four children, and she was an attorney for 10 years, and then she became the chief financial officer of our company. She, I don't know how she does it all, but she's able to raise our children, get the meals on on the on the table, get them all out with their homework done, out to school, and then do all the work of a CFO of a $10 million company. Katie, you are extraordinary. Oh, thank you. I'm just tired listening to you say all those things that I do every day. <laughs> well, you do them with a smile too. Oh, and you. um and in you know the two of us had a very special date last night. Yeah, we did. Uh, a true global icon. Jane Goodall came to Charleston. If you're not familiar with Jane, Jane is described as the Mother Teresa for the environment. She, uh, in 1957, she moved to Africa to live with the chimpanzees. And her work in Gombe and what she learned from the chimpanzees and then her work after that have really changed the world for the better in so many ways. And we had a chance to spend some time with her last night. We, we sponsored the event and we had a chance to talk with her and learn from her last night. And what you're gonna learn today is the impact that her words had on us and what we plan to do about it. And there's gonna be some challenge in here for you on, um, on how you can make the world a better place because that's really what Jane is, is challenging everyone in the world to do. So um, we're going we're gonna to kick it off with the way that Jane kicked it off last night. Before the show, we had a chance to spend some time with her. And she told just a couple of stories that she didn't tell during her lecture. Uh, and it started when she was just one and a half years old. Katie, do you want to tell that story? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was really cool listening to her tell these stories. And the big premise of them was about her mom and the influence that she had in her life. Um, the first one she told, obviously, from what her mom had told her, because she didn't remember being one and a half years old. But um, apparently her mom came in the house to find Jane in the bedroom. I think it was actually on her bed. She had a big pile of dirt and earthworms like tons of earthworms, like crawling all over her bed. And she was fascinated by it and so excited to show her mom. And um, I think most moms, including me, would probably scream and, oh my gosh, there's dirt everywhere and try to clean it up. But her mom just said, oh my gosh, honey, this is amazing. Tell me about the worms. And oh, actually, they'll probably survive better if we take them outside. So let's go, let's go put them back outside in the ground and just, you know, just really encouraged her curiosity. Um, and then she moved on to another story, just, you know, again, about her curiosity with animals being at such a young age. Um, I just want us to think about, though, how it would be to walk into Brady's bedroom if he had a pile of dirt. Brady's our two-year-old. 
if he had a pile of dirt with worms in his bed, what would your reaction be to Brady? Oh, I'd have a heart attack. <laughs> if there were worms and yeah. dirt everywhere in his bed, oh, do you think you would have said, oh, hey, son, this is really interesting. What, what are you doing with these worms? Like, tell me about it. Uh, before last night and hearing these stories about her mom, no, absolutely not. I would have completely freaked out and been trying to clean everything up and telling him no. And yeah, just just total cleanup mode and yeah. telling him no. Yeah. And instead, her mom, like, I mean, what wisdom of a of a mother. And this was one of the biggest takeaways that, that we had from last night was the way that her mom inspired her. I, I'd say if Jane's Goodall didn't have the mom she had, we wouldn't know who Jane is today. Absolutely. And so you can do this too. You don't have to be a mom, but you can inspire others. You can make a difference in somebody's life. You can help the next Jane Goodall show up in the world if you learn some of these lessons. And, and the lesson here was, yeah, the mom didn't want the mess. She didn't want dirt in her house. She didn't want worms in her house. She didn't want her daughter probably all dirty. And yet she was inspired that her daughter had a curiosity with nature and she encouraged it. So yeah, so then she grows a little more. Now she did remember this story, but when she was about four or five. Yeah, they went to a friend's farm. Uh, they lived in, in the city in London. And so they went out to a friend's farm for a couple of weeks. She said it was like the best two weeks of her life. And they had hens and she was in charge of gathering the hen eggs. And um, she got extremely curious about how the eggs came out of the hen because there was no hole big enough anywhere that she could see on the hen for an egg to come out of. So she, you know, following the hens around everywhere, winds up going inside the chicken coop and sits in there for four hours. I don't know what four-year-old could sit still for four hours. She's special. Special, maybe, maybe with an iPad or a TV these days, but to sit in a chicken coop by yourself for four hours, just incredible. Um, and finally, after like a patient four-hour wait, a hen came in and she got to see where the egg came from and how it actually got out of the hen's body. And meanwhile, to her mother's dismay, she's running around panicked looking for her four-year-old daughter who's been missing for four hours. I think she said the mom might even have called the police. She said she was about to. Yeah. yeah. And then she finally comes out and the mom sees her. And again, I think an initial reaction would be, oh my gosh, don't ever do that to me again. You scared me so bad. Fuss at them and yell at them and she said her mom just saw the like joy and excitement on her face that she had solved the mystery of where the hen egg came from and how it got out that she could not wait to tell her mom. And so her mom, instead of yelling or fussing or being upset, just sat down with her and said, tell me all about it, sweetheart, and just let her tell her the whole story and um, didn't stifle, again, stifle her curiosity or um, because like you're saying, in one of those situations, like if her mom had yelled at her you know, berated her or made her feel bad about it, she could have, you know, stifled some of that curiosity or changed who she was slightly. And, um, oh my gosh, what if Jane Goodall wasn't who she is today because her mother hadn't nurtured her through those situations? Like those tiny little moments were so important. And I get so angry when I lose one of the children. And, and my initial reaction... Wait, you've lost our children? Of course. Okay. This is and, uh, to me right I, now. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, no, just, just, I mean, this was just last weekend. Oh, no, I'm just joking. And I couldn't find Harper and Cameron. We were late and I looked all over the house 
I looked in every room upstairs. I looked in the office. I looked in the bedroom, our bedroom. I looked in our bathroom. I'm looking, I, I go out in the driveway and they're nowhere to be found. And I started to get scared. Like I knew they were outside at one point. And I'm like, man, did they, did somebody take them? Did they walk off to a neighbor's house? And so my fear was, was coming on probably like James, Jane's mom was feeling. And when they finally emerged, they had been in the guest house and I didn't check there. I was so angry. I, I was not compassionate. I was not patient. I was get in the car. Mm-hmm. And Jane's story had me realize I, I had an opportunity to be bigger than my emotions in that moment. Right. And what, w- what was really happening? Cameron was upset about something and Harper was consoling her and, and had taken her into a private room to help her feel better. Like, man, I should have been celebrating that. You know, if I had just been a little more patient, I could have said, Harper, way to use your gift. And Harper is very gifted in, in helping people feel better. And I could have encouraged that in Harper instead. Uh, I probably made a lasting negative impression. Right. Which we're all guilty of doing. We're all busy. We're all in a hurry. We're trying to get from point A to point B. Um, And so hearing this message last night really struck a chord with me to, you know, slow down and really, you know, understand what's happening in those moments and and realizing that any any little situation or any time we get upset with the children or fuss at them, we could be having some... um, negative consequences, especially, you know, in situations where they're having curiosity or exploring things that they're interested in that we may not think are important or will go anywhere. Um, And I had the opportunity this morning to put her lesson last night into real life practice. I was making my shake. And anytime I make my shake in the morning, you know, I do my normal thing with the blueberries and the banana and the peanut butter. Brady always wants some peanut butter. And so I gave him a little spoonful of peanut butter. And you know, stupidly didn't watch what he was doing. And so I make my shake and then I'm like looking on my phone and it gets really quiet. And so I go looking for him and I come around in the corner and he has, instead of eating the peanut butter, decided to paint our cabinets, our white cabinets with the peanut butter um, all over them. Little Picasso. Uh, You know what? And so in that exact moment, I went to yell, no, sir, this is not what we do. And I stopped and I said, what would Jane's mom have said? (laughs) And, you know, I didn't tell him he was a Picasso. He wouldn't have understood that. But, you know, he was curious and he was making art. And so I didn't yell. And I just took it from him and I said, all done. And I went and got the paper towels and cleaned up the mess. But, you know, normally in that situation, I'm in a hurry. I would have fussed. We have to get you to school. I would have just done my usual thing, but it actually had me stop this morning. And just know that he, he's just a little boy being curious. And what what if he is a famous artist one day? You know, I mean, what if I... What if the peanut butter on the cabinet has encouraged this kid to be the next great artist? It could have happened this morning. It could, so, yeah, great know, job. So Good, that's a mom win right thank there. Thank you. Thank you. I thought so too. Thank you, Jane's mom. So the next thing that... So Jane said they didn't have much money. And anytime she got some money, she would go to the secondhand bookstore and buy these books. And one of the first books that really influenced her was Tarzan. And it was, Tarzan lived in the jungle. And this, is, this was really like the catapult for her to want to live in the jungle. And she would tell everyone, I'm going to live in, the, in Africa one day and I'm going to study animals. And they would laugh at her. And they'd say, Jane, you can't do that. You're a woman. Or Jane, you can't do that. We don't have the money to send you to Africa. Or, or Jane, you're not going to be a scientist. Only scientists get to do that. 
But what did her mom say? You can do anything you want. I believe in you. You just have to work really hard to do this, but you can do it. What an encouraging response. So while all the world was laughing at her, her mom said, you could do this. It just is going to take a lot of effort and you're going to have to work really, really hard. But yeah, you can do it. And that belief, you know, really helped her. But she graduated high school and she she said she was second or third in her class. Yeah, she was very smart. She was getting, she said she always got the second or third best grades on all the testing and all of the, the classes that she took. And the other children in her school that were near the top of the class went to Cambridge and went to great universities, but her family didn't have money for that. So they she didn't ha- have any money for college. She had to get a job and um, she figured the fastest way she could help support her family by getting a job was to become a secretary. So she took secretary training, a two-week secretary training course, and got a job being a secretary. This is the second person in her high school class has now become a secretary. And, uh, and she hated it. Hated she, it. She hated every moment of being a secretary. And one of her friends from school had uh, taken a trip to Africa and had invited her to Africa. Like, what are the chances? You know, her dream is to go to Africa. And she said that very day, as soon as she got that call, she put in her two weeks notice and she picked up a job as a waitress to save every penny she could so that she could go on that trip to Africa. And this is how God works. She goes to the trip to Africa and it wasn't an easy trip, but she gets there and she's with her friend and her friend says, you have to meet this guy, Louis Leakey. He's very interested in animals. I know you're really interested in animals. Her friend introduces her and it just so happens, Louis Leakey's secretary had quit a couple weeks before Jane got there. And it just so happens that Jane couldn't go to college, but had this dream of studying animals in Africa her whole life. And God had given her the exact training that was required to get the job to study animals in Africa. He needed a secretary. She had secretary training. He hired her to be a secretary in Africa and then gave her a very important assignment because of who she is. It's not just that she had the training. She's also extraordinary as a person. And, um, and he, he said, I want you to study the chimpanzees. And Louis Leakey believed that the chimpanzees were more like humans than all of the scientific literature had, had seen. So he didn't want somebody who had gone to college. He wanted somebody completely unbiased by the scientific literature to study the animals because he wanted what was true, not what was in the books. And she went to study the animals. And, um, as she says, the first four months, they all ran from her. Well, I think just to just to back up just a second, based upon what we were talking about earlier, they when they were initially trying to find um, a program for her to be able to stay and study the animals, nobody would support it. Everybody's like, she's a girl who hasn't gone to college. You want her to stay in the jungle? And so, like everybody thought it was a joke and nobody would support it. And then there was a wealthy businessman or philanthropist and the United States who said, I'll give her six months. And he, he gave the funds for it. And so then it was, we can't leave a young girl alone in the jungle. Who's, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's not a scientist. Like, how can we just leave her out there? Somebody has to be with her. Well, again, everybody thought it was a joke and nobody wanted to go and be with her. So who went with her in the jungle, in a old army tent in the middle of Kenya, but not only then, her mother, yeah. And she she said, you think it was hard for me to be in Africa? 
No, that was my dream. I was living my dream, the bugs and the animals and, you know, the hardships of being in the jungle. I was living my dream life. It was hard for my mom to be in Africa. That was not her dream. But that, you know, that's also inspiring that you can stand, you can be there for your family. And, and there's always these opportunities for us to show up for our family members. Yeah. And her mom, to, to go further with that, had no desire to go live in Africa in the jungle, but had a passion to support her daughter. And then once her mom got there, she wound up, what did they, what did she say they called her? The, the white witch doctor. The white witch doctor. Her mom, who, who didn't have medical training, but knew enough, basically started you know, running a little medical tent. And so they had the villagers from the towns around would come to her and she would help them. And she became such an important part of that culture there and helping the people with sick with medicine from London. And it just became a really something that her mom probably never had any desire to do. But what came out of it is just amazing with her supporting her daughter and then turning into a healer of all the people in the jungle. And that's kind of a, a good takeaway too, is that sometimes life presents you with things that weren't your first choice, like being a secretary. Wasn't Jane's first choice. She was pretty upset about it. But do your best. You know, her mom probably wasn't her first choice to go live in the jungle. But she showed up and she was there and she had some medical understanding and the people that were there needed the help and she just did her best. And what happened was, um, she said one of the one of the witch doctors that was there uh, would say prayers over them that all the animals would not would not harm them and that they would be safe and that the land would provide for them and take care of them. And so they had that protection too. They had the protection of prayer because of the way her mom was. And it got kind of dangerous for Jane. Oh, it sounded very dangerous. <laughs> you know, in, in the 1960s, nobody knew how dangerous chimpanzees were. And here's this young 20-something blonde girl living next to them, observing them, like, you know, basically being with them. And she told us last night, I always wondered this, if she had gotten hurt by any of them. And she had. There was uh, the alpha male. And I don't know if this was shocking to you, but um, that alpha male, she said it would drag her and would hit her sometimes. Yeah, he was asserting his dominance in front of the group um, over her. And, and she would let him. It doesn't sound like he, like, hurt her, hurt her, but it would be terrifying. Um, but that, I, I think a lot of people might be like, okay, they're aggressive. They're willing to hurt me. I'm out of here. But not Jane. Like, that, I think that just fueled her even more to learn more about them. Um, but, yeah, it was a very, very dangerous situation. And they actually asked her last night, like, out of everything she learned from them and all the just years and years she spent with them, what was the most shocking thing that she learned about the chimpanzees? And it was... The fact that they had that aggressive side to them, um, kind of like humans do. They're willing to kill each other over territory and go to war. And um, I think before then, everybody probably thought they were more of a peaceful animal. So that she said that was the most shocking thing to her about them. Yeah. And her research and Louis Leakey's research uh, and genetic testing has shown that chimpanzees have 98.6% of the same exact DNA as we do. We're only 1% removed on our DNA strand from a chimpanzee. And so as we watched their aggressive behavior, wanting to exert their dominance, she told kind of a funny story. She said, sometimes the chimpanzees don't get what they want and they stomp their feet and they beat their chest and they shout. 
and they scream at the other at the other ones. And she said, "Does that sound familiar?" Yeah, and, I remember that. And it's yeah, because that's what we do. <laughs> well, and she said, "Does it remind you of any politicians these days?" Yeah, and everybody started laughing. So yeah, and and so we can learn a lot. That's this was Lewis Leakey's whole plan was to learn a lot about humans by watching the chimpanzees. Yeah, and that that was the biggest, the the most um, startling revelation when she was doing her research was the first time that they ever saw the chimp use a tool. And he used a stick and pulled leaves off of it, so he altered something into a tool, and then he stuck it into a termite mound and pulled out termites. And that just, I think that was what really catapulted the, you know, these are not, you know, inferior animals that have no thoughts or that, that really kind of springboarded her whole research and all this knowledge that we've gained from chimps and how smart they are and how alike they are to us. Yeah. And prior to that, and so she, so Lewis Leakey said, Hey, now that, that you're famous, we need some credibility. So you have to go get your doctorate degree. So she left the jungle and went to Cambridge and became a doctor and I don't know what kind of doctorate she got, but she she got her doctorate degree. And all of the professors were saying to her, Jane, you're doing it wrong. You, these animals don't have emotions. You don't name them. They are, you should number them. And the whole philosophy up until Jane, when she changed the world, was that there's humans and then there's everything else. That we're separate. We're not part of it all. The, the animal world's the animal world. The plant world's the planet wor- plant world. And we're separate. And what she saw was the opposite. She's, she calls it interconnectedness of everything. And it's the same thing that Buddha also talked about, inner, inner being, interconnected. with. She said, we can't thrive if the animal world is dying. We can't thrive if the planet is dying. And that's kind of how her work shifted. She, became, you know, she loved the jungle. She loved studying the chimpanzees. It was, she said it was the best time of her life. But she went to a conference and she saw how bad the planet was suffering, how many forests were being cut down, how much of the chimpanzee habitat was being taken so that we could have more land. And how cruelly the chimpanzees and other animals in Africa were being treated yeah, um, in, in conquest of getting the land and the trees and everything that they were doing. Yeah, they were being sold for pets. And so she became an activist for the environment, not because she wanted to. She wanted to stay in the jungle and continue to study. She said she's still, she's 89 years old, that like her favorite thing to do, if somebody would let her, like tomorrow, she would go and just be in the woods, in the jungle by herself. Like she she said yesterday, she likes to be by herself a lot, but that even to this day, so yeah, if she hadn't become the activist, she would be just as happy just still sitting in the woods observing the chimps today. Hey, if you love to stay in good moods as much as I do, be sure to hit the subscribe button on the Good Mood Show podcast. That way we could get you a good mood every single week. And look, if you know someone else that could use a good mood, share the show with them. Send them a text message. Let them know about the Good Mood Show and let's brighten up the world. And that's this is another takeaway. And that is, is when you see that you can make a difference. She saw that she could make a difference in the world. And she sacrificed her love of the jungle to become this advocate for our environment, for the animals, to teach us all that humans aren't separate. She, she, she said, when we went to the moon, 
and they have the pictures from the moon back at Earth. She says it's this little ball of blue and green surrounded by vast black emptiness. She said, we're all in this thing together. It's just us here. We can't destroy our home. And that was another part I, I loved. Mayor Tecklenburg got up on stage beforehand to introduce her. And he said, I saw Jane 10 years ago. And she said, I used to think that humans were the most intelligent beings on the planet. But then I realized after I studied the chimps that they were more intelligent than us because they would never destroy the home that they live in. Yeah, that was that was very impactful. That was a big a big takeaway last night that the animals don't destroy their habitats. And our planet is facing some very large challenges. You know, and uh, this is the good mood show. Of course, we want to be in good moods all the time, but we can't be in good moods if our planet is destroyed. And, uh, you know, she, she said that this past summer, summer 2023, was the hottest summer of record. It's never been hotter on our planet. This is global warming. Um, she said we're losing biodiversity. We are seeing mass extinction of species of both plants, insects, and animals. Um, we're cutting back the rainforests and to, to create more land so that we can raise more cows so that we can grow more grain to feed to more cows, so that we can feed more people meat. And, uh, and all of this is, is, she said, it's there's still hope though. And her whole message is hope. And her I've, latest book. I read her book, The Book of Hope by Jane Goodall. It's, uh, it was just released two years ago. It's, it's tremendous. Uh, it's a great read too. Um, and she, she mentions four reasons for hope. And she said, we do have a window where we can change things. We can reverse all of this. Yeah, she said it's, she likened it to a tunnel. And we're, we're not in the tunnel, but we're outside the tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel is, you know, a bright star that you can see. And we can't just go through the, the bright star is basically like us saving our planet and stopping what we're doing to it right now. But we can't just, you know, just reach in and run through the tunnel and get to the light. Like we got to crawl through it and hike over stuff and get dirty and it's it's going to be tough. But even with how far away that light seems, like the, she must have gotten asked 10 times last night. Like, why do you have hope? Why do you have hope? Um, because everybody needs and wants to know. And so I think you're about to touch on why she has the hope. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, she said, we're standing at the mouth of this really long, dark tunnel. And it's not going to be easy. There's going to have to be a lot of change. But we can do it. And so the four reasons she says we can do it, the first she mentions is the intelligence of the human intellect. We're so smart, we can fly a rocket ship, we could build a rocket ship, put humans in it, fly them to the moon, and bring them back home safely. If we can do that, we can certainly cut, stop cutting down the forests. We could figure out a new way. We're, we're brilliant. We have brilliant minds. The, the, it, all humanity has to do is put our intelligence towards making our environment a better place, and we'll figure it out. But we haven't done that yet. Some people have. Jane has. She has. Yeah, I think, I think one of the big holdups to that is getting through the red tape and the politics and everything that goes with it. People, we have to get out of our own ways and everybody get on the same page. The next reason for hope is nature's resilience. 
Remember we, when we watched that documentary on planet Earth a couple of years ago when we were in the, the rental Ion house? Yeah, I remember that. And I think it was during COVID and we were stuck in the house for <laughs> a month with the kids looking for things to watch. We had one couch. One couch. And it, it, was, it was the tiniest living room. We had one couch and all five of us would sit on this one couch. And it was just a massive humanity just, just laying on this couch. Yeah. Binging on Netflix when we couldn't go anywhere. And, uh, it, you know, I think it was Planet Earth was the name of the show. And, yeah. and they showed Chernobyl where an atomic bomb had, had been dropped and right. now, 20-some years later, forests have grown, have grown up through all the buildings. Within just 20-some years, maybe 22, 25, I don't know how many years we can look it up, nature has regrown. So the second reason for Jane's hope is nature's resilience. That if we gave the space back to the rainforests, they would grow back within 20 years. Right. Yeah, trees, everything grows back. We just have to stop harming them and give them space and nature will grow. Her third reason for hope was the spirit of humans. Man, our spirit. Our, when, we, when we want to accomplish something, we certainly can. And it's not just our intellect. It's our, when we get together and we get behind something, we can do it. And her fourth reason for hope is the one she talked about the most. The youth. Yeah. If our youth has a passion for changing this planet for the better, like nothing can stop them. She has created a group. So I, I got I got a chance to ask her a question. And I said, I said, Jane, we have four young kids. And I, I want this planet to be here and be a great place for them and their kids and their kids and their kids. What can we do? And I loved her answer. You, do you want to expound a little bit on what she had said? Yeah, I mean, and, and I thought it was so great because everybody's looking for like this one thing. Like, what should we be doing? Joining this group or supporting this cause? And her answer was like, just do something. Everybody can do something, whether it's donate money or donate your physical labor or donate your, your thinking power to a group to help with solutions. It's just, just do something and everybody can do something. Everybody has skill sets. So just do whatever your skill set is. Um, just everybody do something. Yeah. And she said, every single day, you're making a difference. Every single day, you're making a difference on the environment. Is it a positive difference or is it a negative difference? But every single day, you are making a difference. So every single day, you can do something. And she said, we were all designed differently. We all have different talents. I just, I loved this answer. Some of us are really good at making money. Well, great. We could use the money to help the environment. Some of us are really good at volunteering our energy, like you had said. Great. We can use our energy and our time to go help the environment. And then she said to us specifically, get your, get your children involved in my youth program, Roots and Shoots. And there's a Roots and Shoots program in every country. She said she's in... in 60 countries, I think. 60 countries where the youth are learning how to take care of the environment and be good shepherds of the, our planet. Change will happen, hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully, it <laughs> will. You know, Katie, as we're, as we're winding down the show, thank you for being here, first of all. Thank you for having me. Uh, I wanted to have Katie on many times. I've asked you to come on the show about many topics. We gave a whole speech uh, to the I Love Coaching event a few years ago about romance. We kissed on stage in front of hundreds of people a we bunch did. of times. 
<laughs> there are pecs. There are small kisses. <laughs> so maybe one day we'll bring our romance speech to the yeah, Good Mood Show because that's that would a, be fun. That's important. Um, but I, I'm glad you came here today because Jane inspired us both. She's 89. Traveling 300 out of 365 days a year. On the road, giving this speech to because she's so passionate about making a difference. What was your biggest takeaway from our time with Jane? I think my biggest takeaway and kind of what I've talked about was, and what, what I wasn't anticipating last night, but what resonated with me the most was about her mother and about, um, and about the youth. And so for me, it was, you know, just supporting our children and not the knee-jerk reaction to be upset about something that they did if it's not, you know, what I wanted in the moment or, or dreams that they have that we might think, oh, they might not be that one day, but not telling them that, but supporting them through anything. And then not only supporting them, but also getting them involved. And so getting into the roots and shoots or just other local Charleston um, conservation efforts and just getting our kids out there, letting them understand our planet and what they can do to help and, and making an impact locally um, so that we can make an impact globally. I love that. I stole it from Jane last night. She said, make an impact locally and then globally. I like the way. Yeah. Look, I'm sure I'm sure she would love I'm sure she would love that you stole it. And, you know, for me, my biggest takeaway was that she was willing to say the unpopular thing because she felt it was the right thing. So when she went to the and those professors in Cambridge were saying you're doing this all wrong, she was willing to look at all these scholars, all these esteemed high class, high flutin, high society people right in the eye and say, I don't care if you think I'm doing it wrong. I'm in the jungle. I'm seeing what's real. And that was unpop that was an un that's this is a woman in the 1960s. Challenging men. Challenging the world because she believed in what she was seeing and she believed in what she was seeing more than their opinions. And then you know, here she, you know, last night she had this a stuffed, she had all these stuffed animals on the table. So and the crowd got kind of silent at one of them. She pulled out a stuffed animal of a cow and she said, I'm bringing this cow up because the reason that we're cutting so many forests is so that we can raise cows to mass kill them so that we can eat their body parts. She said, there is more grain grown in the world to feed animals that we'll eat pieces of than there is grain going to starving people. And I know this is one of her big, big things that would help our environment would be that if we stopped eating cows, if the whole world stopped eating cows, we would have space for our forests to grow back. People didn't clap that hard at that no, one. No, everybody, everybody likes a hamburger. <laughs> Everybody likes a hamburger. Yeah, and, they do. Um, you know, a few months ago, I made the decision to become a vegetarian. And it wasn't to save the planet, but she's given me more reason. And Harper, our oldest daughter, has has come with me and she's stuck with it. She has. Uh, but yeah, Jane gave me more reason, more conviction. Because it's not easy. Yeah, hamburgers taste amazing. They do. And and it's so it may not be the extreme of becoming a vegetarian, I didn't become a vegetarian when you did, but I'm eating less meat because of it. And I'm also more aware of if I am buying meat, who am I buying it from? 
Is it the big farms that are causing all these issues, the mass production that aren't treating the animals humanely? You can you can research who you're buying from or supporting local farmers um, who aren't contributing to those efforts and who are helping to take care of our planet and in an ethical way with the animals and the earth. So it could it could be that small step of you can still have your hamburger, but maybe you buy it from a different source. Yeah, and and I just love that. And so that was my big takeaway is that she's willing to say the unpopular thing. She knew that she's given this speech to all these towns. She knew Charleston wasn't going to clap really loud about her saying become vegetarians to save the planet. She knew that people weren't going to get on board with that. And yet she said it because she believes that's what we need. And uh, so my takeaway from her is to speak my truth. You know, to say what and I, of course, I already do this, but just seeing someone who's lived their whole life bucking society norms and trends to say what she feels needs to be said, it was really inspiring for me. And so if you're listening, Katie's big takeaway was to say encouraging words to people who could use it. Never stifle someone's dreams. You know, and if in the moment somebody does something you think is silly, but they're really passionate about it, support them on it. You know, like when Jane said, I'm going to go to Africa and, and, and I'm going to study animals. Her mom probably thought, no, you're not. Like, that's crazy. You know, we live in England. We're not, we're not going to Africa. But and she didn't say that. She said, you can. It's going to take a tremendous amount of work. You're going to have to raise a lot of money, but you can do anything. And if you want to do it, I'll support you. So if there's somebody in your life that, that, that says a dream that you think is crazy, don't immediately shut it down because your brain says they're not going to do it. Be that person that says, you could do that. I believe you could do that. Yeah, it might take a tremendous amount of work, but you could do that. And then when society is saying something else, when society tells you to do something, but you know in your heart that, that it's not right, that it's harming the planet, that it's, that it's harming other people, that it's har harming the animals, man, speak your truth in the face of everyone else, that, yeah, it won't be popular. Maybe people won't like you for saying it. But if you know it's true, speak your truth. Thank you, Jane Goodall. Thank you, Jane. And thank you, Katie O'Neill, for being here today. Thank you once again for having me. And thanks for being my wife. Thank you for being my husband. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to you all, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. For free resources, videos, and materials about getting into your best moods, head over to thegoodmoodshow.com. And remember, when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. See you next week. Same time, same place.